Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys. Uh, it, what a privilege it is to teach here at Cross Point. Uh, welcome to those of you, of course, who are in the house and upstairs and our family that's online. Hello. Welcome. Uh, we wish you could be here. Uh, we miss you, uh, but we're glad you're joining online anyways. Now, listen, today I have a hunch that God is knocking on our door in a special way, so I'm going to share that hunch with you today. And so I want to acknowledge and reintroduce someone to you this morning. It's God, the Holy Spirit. And so now, if you were here last week, Brendan uh, shared a great, amazing teaching on the implications of the Trinity for our discipleship, for our identity, who we are. And so if you weren't there, if you missed that, um, I encourage you to step back and watch it. You can find it on our YouTube channel. It was awesome. Thank you, Brendan, for that. And so if there was any question... And if you doubt it or in case you missed it, we are an unapologetically Trinitarian church. And so what does that mean? It means that we believe that there is one God, infinite and perfect, who exists eternally in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So now before I begin talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, for those of you who are new to the faith or maybe you're just a little bit rusty, let me give you a crash course on um, some of the most functional creeds about the Trinity. Uh, First of all, each person of the Trinity is fully God and a distinct person, yet in one and complete in unity and with perfect harmony with each other. And so when one is glorified, they are all glorified. The Bible says that God the Father is glorified in Jesus and that the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. And in this, you find that the Trinity is very Christ-centered. That's important. So just hold on to that for a second. It's really key. Next, they do all things in unison. So they are involved in all parts of our redemptive history, our story as a people. And God is the author and the source. God the Father is the author and the source of all things creative and redemptive. Christ is the mediator, the means, the champion, and the cre- of all the creative acts and redemptive work, the thing that he did on the cross because he loved us. And the Holy Spirit, who we're talking about today, is the executor, the person who makes it apply to our lives by the spiritual grace and blessings upon the Father's intent and the work that Jesus did for the people of God. Amen? And so finally, when we know one person in the Trinity, we know the others. Jesus said, if we know him, we have known the Father. And in addition, Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit bears witness to us about who Jesus is. So let me introduce you to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Because when we know the Holy Spirit, a distinct person, we know Jesus, another distinct person, yet one in the Trinity with the Father. Now that I have that all out of the way, in theory, at least, our Trinitarian confession, this thing that we say we believe, means that we believe that the Holy Spirit is a divine person sent to indwell, guide, teach, and empower us, um, the believer. But as a pastor, I'm not really interested in correct theory, but good practice. 
And so this shouldn't just be our creed, but this should be our very experience. The Holy Spirit is to be known and experienced. Eugene Peterson said that a great theology is, a great amount of theology is done in a way so we get it right. But spirituality aims to bring that together within a lived life, getting our lives right. And so we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So today, all I want to do is to encourage you to welcome the person, the friendship, and the work of the Holy Spirit into your life. And so maybe this is for the first time, and we would love to pray for you after, just to invite the Holy Spirit in, to work through whatever's in its way. And um, maybe for some of you, this is just a renewed uh, take on old relationship, a fresh lease on it. But my goal today is simply that you would wake up tomorrow, and you would welcome the Holy Spirit into your day. And the day after that, and the day after that, and every day between each of our gatherings each week. But first, I want to start by emphasizing our need for the Holy Spirit. And so naturally, in Micah fashion, I want to talk to you about lobsters. <laughs> no, seriously, lobsters. I begin this way because there's something we can learn about ourselves through observations made about lobsters. There's that crusty critter right there. First of all, lobsters, they really don't have it easy. Every time you're at the grocery store, you can see them there in their tank with their little beady eyes just looking at you. Help me. And obviously, a lobster who lives on the bottom of the floor of the Atlantic is happier than one that's sitting on my plate, right? But let me tell you, there's more to the lives of lobsters. Let me tell you, lobsters struggle to survive. In their natural environment, they are vulnerable to predators, need a food-rich habitat with a good shelter. And for the lobster community, there isn't a lot to go around for everyone. It makes the ocean floor a highly competitive landscape. And so lobsters fight for the right to prosper. I don't know if you knew that. There's a war being waged underwater. And this is the most interesting part. Don't, don't get lost here. When two lobsters go to war over one natural resource, both are forever changed. Can you believe it? Science, scientists have studied this. When the more confident, aggressive, and persistent lobster triumphs over the other, this shellfish's neural pathways are flooded with serotonin, the feel-good chemical. And the lobster who retreats is flooded with octopamine, a depressive. And winning or losing changes the chemistry of both lobsters and rewires their brains over time, changing how they think, what they believe, and how they act. And so time after time, this scenario repeats itself and plays itself out on the ocean floor. And so two lobsters competing in a limited resource face-off come together. And sometimes, you know, a, a smaller lobster will observe a larger one with huge claws, and he says, no, nah, I'm not in for that, and he backs off. And sometimes two equally matched lobsters engage in combat and one loses. And then the loser then gets that octopamine hit and starts believing that he is a loser. Right? Poor lobster. And I hear you laughing. So that he is more likely, though, the next time to lose and the time after that until he feels worthless and alone. I don't really know how they feel, but I imagine that's how they feel. And this happens even, the scientists observe that this happens even if the opponent is smaller than them and objectively less able to defend that prize they're fighting for. And so this process continues until a small group of elite lobsters forms. 
and they consume all the best food, procreate with all the best mates, and live in the safest, most hospitable environments, all while the others are live on the fringes, struggling to survive and prosper. How sad is that? You'll never think of lobsters the same way. So this is what um, scientists and psychologists call learned helplessness. And I know it sounds ridiculous to talk about lobsters on Sunday morning, but you probably saw the parallels that exist between the animal kingdom and ours. See, learned helplessness is a new state of being that occurs when a person experiences a stressful situation repeatedly. Then they come to believe that they are unable to control or change their situation, so they do not even try. Even when opportunities for change become available, and the worst part of this is that sometimes they, we don't only accept this reality, but now we expect that's all for our lives. That's learned helplessness. And so this is my question for us, church, for you today, is have we learned to be helpless? And I believe that in different ways, and I worry sometimes that this is all, well, it's true for all of us. But today, of course, I'm here to talk about more than lobsters, but I want to give you good news. And so if you have your smartphone or your Bible, I want to get you to turn to John chapter 14. There is good news. I'll give you a second to jump over there, but you can follow along uh, on the screen behind me. And so here's what's happening in John chapter 14. So Jesus is with his disciples, these people who, these guys who follow him, and he begins to prepare them for his departure. And so in the upper room, Jesus explains this to them. And they didn't understand that yet that he would die. He would come back to life in the resurrection and ascend into heaven. So he begins to share a series of farewell conversations with them. And if you know the story, Jesus' closest followers are not too thrilled about this idea that Jesus is going away. Jesus had walked with them for about three years, and he was their teacher and, and their embodied Lord. And so you just don't let that go. And so if you know the story, you know that Peter just gets really violent, and Judas completely loses it. But John, Christ's beloved John, dials in here in what Jesus is really preparing them for, and it's something big. So don't miss this. You can find it in the spiritual gospel of John. Jesus says that I will not leave you orphans, but I will come to you. The good news in John for us today is that we will never be helpless. We will never be alone or fatherless. That's good news. And so let's start reading here in chapter 14, starting with verse 15. Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So see, in this conversation with the disciples, Jesus clearly defines that close connection between an intimate relationship with Jesus and their obedience to him. He says, if you will love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. So if you're close to me, if you're near me, your love for me will grow. And if your love for me grows, so will your desire to trust and obey. But imagine if you were in that room, in the upper room with the disciples, you can almost 
picture the disciples looking at each other and you see the question marks in their eyes. If Jesus goes away, how can we do this? How can we remain in this kind of love and keep his commands? But you see, Jesus, in his perfection, Jesus anticipates our questions and shows us what we need. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And he goes on to tell us how he's going to help. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. In 1 John, another letter that John wrote, the beloved disciples say that, um, the beloved disciple says that Jesus was their helper. And so now Jesus is saying, I was here for you now to help you. Now I'm going away so that everyone who believes in me will always have the help they need. And so who is this helper? Well, really plainly, it's the Holy Spirit. And so for all you Bible nerds out there, I know you're waiting for it. The Greek word John uses for helper here is perikletos. Rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? Here, this word is translated in, in, in so many different ways. Sometimes the paraclete is described as helper or otherwise as a counselor. But it's not really merely in that therapeutic sense. Sometimes it's interpreted as the comforter, but not exclusively in like a soft moral sense where you're sitting on the couch and they listen to you. It's sometimes described as an advocate in a strong legal sense, but that can be kind of limiting too. So when you get right down to it, the translation cannot fully capture the nuanced, personal, and embodied paraclete that is both the persons we find here, both God the Son who is Jesus and God the Holy Spirit. The best and possibly most inclusive translation for the helper we have in Jesus and now in the Holy Spirit is parakleo, which literally simply just means to come alongside to walk beside. That's the kind of helper we have. And so Jesus went to the Father who sent the person of the Holy Spirit to come be alongside us forever. We're not helpless. And I don't know if you can imagine this, but the Holy Spirit comes in Jesus' place. And in that, I don't know if you can imagine this, but we can know Jesus more intimately than we ever thought we were able to do before. Because Holy Spirit comes. But there is a problem. We face every day, all of us, opposition. I like to think of them as the unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And these are very real forces that we believe in, very real people that would love to see us ignore the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, right here in this passage, Jesus points this out. He says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. He's saying that popular culture, the dominant forces of this world, do not see, know, or receive God the Holy Spirit. And that will influence us. It's supposed to be different for believers in Christ. Jesus then says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Listen, this might be for some of you today. Has the world led you astray? Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, a man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I hope that's not our reality today. Do we have a helper in a person of the Holy Spirit that we ignore, will not receive, 
and do not know. In other words, do we reject the Holy Spirit here and settle for a God we believe in but do not know, and at what cost? So let me tell you why this matters for our church and for each of us and what's at stake. Um, recently, uh, Ambrose Seminary Dean Professor Gordon T. Smith said this in, a re- in an interview. He said this. He said, certain parties in the church have a truncated pneumatology or otherwise understanding of the Holy Spirit. They have never experienced Pentecost. And the risk, they risk the Trinitarian error of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Becoming biblicists that lack, listen, lack what? Lack a dynamic sense of the immediacy of the Spirit in the life, work, and witness of the church. And on on the other hand, there are those who use the term of manifest presence. Maybe you've heard that before. And their pneumatology is all about the ethereal other. And so liturgy and worship and everything, the experience is all about creating ambiance and the notion of the ethereal other. Smith says, neither of which is Trinitarian, and so richly nuanced Trinitarian theology and worship must be recovered. See, Smith is saying that, like so many believers before us in church history, so often we risk ignoring God, the Holy Spirit, or the entire Trinity. So what does it mean for us to have a well-balanced Trinitarian relationship with the Holy Spirit? Smith says that acknowledging the Trinity acknowledges the Holy Spirit. And when we acknowledge the Holy Spirit, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God is, is not limited to Sunday during worship, but happens every day of our lives, Monday through Friday, when we are immediately responsive to the grace of the Spirit in our lives. And so we can then ask questions like, what is the Spirit up to in our day? And we can ask, how can he bring us into the presence of the living and ascended Lord Jesus through whom we know the Father in heaven? So, I believe that John's spiritual gospel has three answers for us today to that how and that what. Jesus sends us a helper for us in our greatest times of need. And so first, the Holy Spirit is there when we need illumination. If you jump ahead in chapter 14, just to verse 25, Jesus says this. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. See, listen, what Jesus is saying is that the Holy Spirit can help us have a greater understanding of the Word, Christ's teaching, and who he is. More importantly, he is able to bring them to mind when you need them. Let's get really practical. So parents with small children, when it's 9 p.m. and your kids have sucked the very life out of you, (laughs) and you can hardly piece three words together in the right order, you know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen? I know you're here. But in that moment, it so happens that you need a word from God for a situation or for someone else or even for yourself. In moments like that, the Holy Spirit can do what you cannot do. Highlight the knowledge of God's will through the wisdom and understanding that only the Spirit gives. And number two, here's another example. For those of you who study the Bible really seriously, When you read that passage again and again for the millionth time, and the the Holy Spirit can reveal its meaning to you. So when you're in Exodus 20, verse 13 or something, the sixth commandment, thanks be to God that the Holy Spirit will help you be like, yes, 
Finally, I get it. Making plain what was not plain before to us. See, the light of the Holy Spirit is a beautiful thing in our lives. We need it in dark days and these small moments, parents. So I pray today, come Holy Spirit. Second, the Holy Spirit is there when we need a witness. If you flip forward just one page to John 15, verse 26, you will find Jesus' next statement about our paraclete, the helper, the Holy Spirit. Here Jesus says to his disciples, But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, I will bear, he will bear witness about me. See, the Holy Spirit can testify about Jesus to you in such a new and fresh way today. So much so that it quenches your doubts and renews your faith, that it changes your whole life and drives you into new action. The person of Jesus does that when we let the Holy Spirit witness to us about him. And so some of you are here um, just checking things out and you're new to the faith. You're just investigating things. Listen, it is God himself, the person of the Holy Spirit, that makes Jesus not only real, but God to you. You have your doubts, I get that. But who better than God himself to quench them? For you, I pray, this morning, right now, Holy Spirit, come. And that's not it. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time now, and you feel like the communion crackers have gone stale, and you're wondering, what is happening to my faith? If that's you... You might not know it, but in the deepest part of who you are, you are hoping and asking, can I get a witness? And the answer I want to give to you today is, yes, you can. And it's a beautiful thing when you receive the ministry directly from God, the Holy Spirit. So for you, I pray right now, come Holy Spirit. Now third, the Holy Spirit is there when we need guidance. If you move ahead again just a little bit to chapter 16, verse 7, you'll see Jesus' last remark on the paraclete, our helper, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says this, It is to your advantage that I go away, if you can imagine that. For I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the ro this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. Even in this post-truth world, friends, we are not helpless. Yes, we have cultural storms swirling around us like never before. And we are concerned about sin, righteousness, and how wrongs will be made right. And there are many of them. And yet the Spirit is still at work in powerful ways. Amen? Some of you believe it. Drawing people. He's drawing people and convicting hearts right now. And there's so many scenarios and questions that we have right now. What should we do about this? What should we do about that? It's a lot, but Jesus says the Holy Spirit will guide us in all truth with, I might add, authority. The Spirit will not be led. Instead, according to Christ's promise, we should ask, what is the Spirit doing right now? And let him lead. 
Because it's a beautiful thing when we depend on God, the Holy Spirit, in turbulent times like now. So today, I pray, come Holy Spirit. Now, I should point out that the Spirit's work requires us to be really, really good students. Uh, Life with the Spirit of God is full of teachable moments. And some say that spirituality is all that uh, the amount of time between um, the desire to sin and repentance, but the Holy Spirit can move into that space of time and help us. J.I. Packer says this. He says, this is all God's means of making sin repulsive and Christ adorable in our eyes, in the eyes of people who previously loved sin and cared nothing about our divine Savior. This is how God, through the Holy Spirit, makes sin repulsive and Christ adorable. And so we say, come Holy Spirit. The question is, how teachable are we? And you might wonder, if Jesus were here in the flesh, would we follow him? But the real question we should be asking is, will we follow him now by the Spirit? The truth is, if we want to follow the risen, living, and ascended Jesus, we will have to do so with the Holy Spirit. And so how? How do we do that? Well, virtually, we do this in two ways. We do this through sensitivity and obedience. First, we need to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Every believer in Christ is filled by the Holy Spirit and given new spiritual life, yes. And that Spirit makes his home in you, that's true. But he is a person with thoughts, his own will and emotions. Not only is Holy Spirit powerful, but he is sensitive. And we only have one Holy Spirit. And so today, unfortunately, the truth is people are really impatient with oversensitive people. Isn't that true? Think about it probably know someone that person oversensitive someone knows one like that paul calls insensitivity to the holy spirit grieving the holy spirit he says this he says and do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice instead be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let me be clear about something today. When you are insensitive to the Holy Spirit, you do not lose your salvation or the presence of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in every believer in Christ. But it can seem as if the Spirit has left. I don't know if you felt that way, but I've been there. And this is what the Bible sometimes calls anointing or the filling of the Holy Spirit. But here's the point I'm getting at. Even though the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you will not see the enabling activity of the Spirit in your life if we are insensitive to him. See, Paul says there's plenty of ways to grieve the Holy Spirit when we are bitter, angry, talking poorly about or being unkind to others. For example, have you ever refused to forgive a friend? Did you feel... In that moment, like God was distant. My suggestion would be go deal with this. Go forgive your friend. Holy Spirit cannot minister to you if if sin is at work in you. Uh, Let me explain this with a picture. You know, R.T. Kendall, in his book Holy Fire, tells this story about a missionary couple who were sent to Israel. And when they were living in Jerusalem... 
they noticed that there was this dove living in the east trough on the roof of their home. And in the Bible, if you didn't know this, the dove is one of the leading metaphors and pictures of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The dove descends on Jesus and remains with him. So naturally, these missionaries, they felt like it was a sign of God's favor and a seal of the Spirit's presence with them. But something peculiar happened. Every time they slammed the door or had a fight, the dove flew away. And the couple noticed this, and they, they worried that the dove would never return. And that with that, they were unsure that they had the favor of the Holy Spirit. So they, they realized that this dove was a wild and sensitive bird. It, and so they would have to adjust to him instead of him adjusting to them. And so in the same way, people, the Holy Spirit is not a domestic pigeon. He's a dove. He's a wild dove who cannot be tamed or trained. He does not adjust to us. We must adjust to him. And so if we want to follow the risen Savior Jesus, we must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit today. But listen, there's more. Second, we need to practice obedience to Holy Spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit so easily grieved? Well, because not only does the world not know him, but the natural state and desires of our hearts are in direct opposition with the Spirit. So Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Pay attention. Life with the Spirit is more akin to training than trying. I keep saying this. It's really important. Not only should we be sensitive to the whole, who the Holy Spirit is, but we need to be attentive to what he does because there's a part of, us, part of all of us that's fallen and broken, that part that Paul calls the flesh here. It doesn't want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. It requires that we yield to his leadership, teaching, and guidance. Let me show you what I mean. Um, for the last couple of years, my son Judah has been learning to ride a bike. Uh, he's four and a half right now. Uh, but instead of a tricycle or training wheels or anything like that, we got him this balance bike. And, and if you don't know, basically these are uh, small bikes without pedals that you push around with your feet. And you learn how to balance. And so for a year or so, we have worked with him and, on that little bike patiently and slowly but Judah has learned to follow our instructions and ride this thing by our side. And his balance is, is, is amazing now. And, and you might remember what it's like when you're learning to ride a bike. At first, our bodies do not know how to ride a bike, right? Part of us doesn't even want to ride a bike because it's too much work. We need to sit, but we don't trust the seat. We need to balance our center of mass on these two wheels, but the law of gra gravity just wants to topple us over. Um, we need to steer straight and keep our head up, but our hands want to go where our eyes do, and we just love to stare at our feet, don't we? We can't do this on our own, so often we need a good teacher, and we need to be an obedient student and practice. And so recently, Judah's uncle bought him this large two-wheeled pedal bike for the first time. It's a Spider-Man bike. It's amazing. Uh, we are in love with it. Thank you, uncle. And anyways, Judah begged for training wheels, but we were like, we, we asked him to just trust us. And we reminded him, oh man, your balance is really good now. You've worked really hard towards this. And so the other day we went outside and we walked alongside him as he balanced on his bike. And I just held his shoulders and he would just begin to pedal. 
And I just wanted to go for it and just let him go, you know. And, but I, I held myself back, and I said, do you need me? And Judah, it just broke my heart. He's like, I need you. And I was like, oh, yes, I love that. I'll hold on to that forever as long as I can. And so I held on. And I was just reminding him, feet on the pedals, push with all your weight. Heads up and handlebars straight. We went up and down that sidewalk all evening, and we were just boiling in the heat. And you could see it. Judah was beginning to trust me. He was beginning to see what I could see, to want what I want. His body wasn't doing what it wanted to do anymore. It was riding a bike alongside me. So now the day after, we went out again, and I let go, and Judah drove around the block twice on his own for the first time. There he is. And where was I? I was just right there alongside him. See, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, showing us how to do what is unnatural to us and things we do not know how to do. And so when we practice obedience to the Holy Spirit, new things are possible, and it can change your life. I believe it. I've experienced it. This is the helper we have. It's a beautiful thing. And so, friends, this is where I've been going with all of this today. My hope today is that you would know the Holy Spirit and that you would live a life of immediate responsiveness to him. And in him you will come to know Jesus like never before, and anything according to the will of the Father will become possible if you ask it in Jesus' name. And so let me ask you this as I close today. Do we have at Cross Point Church a pigeon religion, or do we want to live with the dove? And so this is my one challenge to you this week. When you wake up tomorrow morning, I want you to start by saying, Hello, Holy Spirit. What do you want to do today? Just wake up and say, Hello, Holy Spirit. What do you want to do today? Parents, you've got to be ruthless about this before those kids come and jump on your neck. Hello, Holy Spirit. What do you want to do today? And so, uh, before we close this, let me pray for you. And then I'll invite Elder Dave to come up for an update. Let's pray. I pray today, um, come Holy Spirit. We agree that you are welcome here. And we are just so thankful, Holy Spirit, for your help. And I ask that you continue to work in the life of our church. That you would be close to us personally. And that we would be responsive to your teaching, your prompting, and leading. And we ask these things of you, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.